You're listening to a Fair Mormon production. Welcome to Fair Mormon's Front Page News Review, where we provide context and analysis of the past week's media coverage of Mormons and the LDS Church. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me via the internet is manager of the Fair Mormon Front Page News Service, Cassandra Hedelius. We hope this will be an edifying and entertaining experience. What we present is not to be understood as being the official position of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We speak for ourselves and sometimes not even then. So, Cassandra, let's get on to this week's news. But first, let's apologize for being off for a couple weeks. We don't. We had a few regular listeners that were missing us. So, apologize. <laughs> apologize for everybody uh, missing us, I guess. I, I apologize. And actually, this is more like the last couple of weeks news. So we'll yeah. make up for it that way. Exactly. So we we, uh, we have a, a story here that's kind of Mormon related again, but it uh, it's a Mormon mention in the news about uh, presidential candidate Marco Rubio. Um, yeah, it's not kind of a Mormon story. I'd say it's a Mormon story. I think that technically he is still Mormon according to... I mean, our doctrine and policy is that unless you are affirmatively kicked out or have your name removed, then you're still Mormon. Even if you have joined other churches and really moved on in your life. So Marco Rubio, who is running for the Republican nomination for president, um, long ago as a kid, lived in Nevada with his family. They all joined the church. They were active for a little while, it sounds like, for a few years. Um, But then they moved, and he eventually went back to his Catholic roots. He is of uh, Cuban heritage, and then I think now he attends a Protestant church. So Mr. Rubio has been a little bit all over the map in Christianity. Um, This article that we're going to post, it doesn't um, go into what his feelings are toward the church, but I've seen him quoted elsewhere that he'll say, you know, it's not what I practice anymore, but I love Mormons. He has no problems with the church. So I guess this is, you know, kind of good exposure. Someone who has left the church, but doesn't hate the church or have any problems with the church. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, that's true. I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, discount that at all. So what does this, does this pose any impact whatsoever on his uh, presidential candidacy? Is it hurt him, help him? Anything like that? Is there any kind of impact then? That's a good question. Um, I think political scientists are still debating whether the Mormon factor did hurt Mitt Romney. I've seen good, plausible arguments that it did, and I've seen more arguments. I think moving toward the consen- the consensus is that it did not. But, you know, if I were running for the Republican nomination right now and based on the the example of Romney in the last two go-arounds, I would probably downplay it. Well, no, no, not me. I mean, I am Mormon. If I were Rubio, I would downplay the Mormonism thing a little bit. Just, I mean, why why stir up controversy when you could just say, you know, right now I am Protestant. These are my beliefs. Here's where I'm at right now. Let's not talk about the past. Let's talk about the future and go on into all those presidential platitudes that politicians love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So uh, that one should uh, it's pretty pretty cut and dry. It's not nothing too uh, positive or negative or anything. It's just almost a piece of of interesting trivia in some respects. But that means it also it's just somehow presidential politics always have a Mormon connection. Now it's going to be part of the running 
the running story from, from here <laughs> forward. The moment lives on, and yeah. It, it's never going to die because it gets plenty of clicks. So, but that kind of connects to our second story from, uh, what is this, from the Kansas City Star, mm-hmm. which uh, makes kind of an assertion that the truest GOP believers, or I guess the most, what'd you say, truest just Republicans. Most strongly Republican demographic group in the country. Are Mormons. Mormons. Go figure. You couldn't tell that by <laughs> looking at Utah's voting record. This is a surprise to anybody. <laughs> yeah. no. Right. More, or Utah went for it. I think it always goes for the Republican presidential candidate by a larger margin than any other state. Well, and, and to get to this article, it says that uh, as this particular survey that was done by the Pew Research Center um, that was conducted back in 2014 shows that 70% of Mormons lean Republican compared to 22% who tilt Democratic. Now, do your math. I guess that means that the rest are in other. Um, They don't really go into the details as far as what that remaining 8% is, or did I miss that? Well, what it doesn't say, what I suspect if we looked at the underlying data from Pew, but this article doesn't convey is is that 70 percent of american mormons um i guess it must be it has to be strictly american i would assume right there is no gop elsewhere right so maybe the the other eight percent they maybe they're the green party and the libertarian party and just third parties i think there's a pretty good strong proud tradition of mormons being cantankerous outsiders who don't want to check either of the, <laughs> nice. the box for either of the major parties. Yeah. Well, what does this mean as far as, I mean, does it, is it kind of imply anything? The Kansas City article doesn't seem to really imply much beyond what the data is simply reporting, and that is that it seems that Mormons are strongly Republican. Right. I mean, I've seen some criticisms that, of course, this means Mormons are brainwashed and they all walk in locked up with no original thought. And that's uncharitable. <laughs> I don't know how you would prove that anyway. Um, could, it could be that all the Mormons have had original thoughts that have all happened to come to the same conclusion, which isn't too surprising when you're all coming from um, kind of the same moral framework, which when you have a religion that is very pervasive in in your life, I mean, Mormonism is not just a Sunday religion, and it is more of a Sunday religion than a lot of believers in this modern age. And um, when I say more of a Sunday religion, I mean that there are higher rates of church attendance and then higher uh, rates of participation outside of Sunday worship as well. Yeah. And that this article tends to, or that goes into other religions and tries to break down, you know, their political leanings. And I guess it, it makes me wonder how, how this may even be interpreted other than just this lock stock, you know, we're all Republican and that's the only way that you can think and still be active. You know, I don't want people thinking that this 22% that are democratic are somehow the, the, the percentage of people that are inactive in the church. That's not part of what this is saying, right? Right. And yeah, that's something that I, um, I personally have tried to get across to others too. Um, when you have a very strong culture within the church, and of course we do, especially out West, the closer you get to Utah, um, it can be difficult to be an outsider. Um, I 
can absolutely understand that. And in college, I had some good friends who were more leftist in their political orientation. Um, some of them joined the church, some of them were already in the church. And I talked to them a lot, and it it really was hard. And um, they were told some stern things by other church members sometimes that I don't think was very necessary. I think that among uh, fellow church members, we should probably just leave politics out of it to the extent that it's at all possible. And it's usually pretty possible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I live far from Utah now. I'm in Maryland. I have a sister in D.C. who tells me about her board. And honestly, the farther you get from Utah, the less monocultural it seems. I remember, too, when Romney was running, um, there was an article where I think the Washington Post went and um, interviewed some people in the Washington, D.C. ward that includes the White House. So the premise was this is where Romney will attend church if he wins the election. And everyone interviewed. They were all Democrats. They were they were all Mormon Democrats in D.C. because there are a lot of Mormon Democrats in D.C. Um, who are wonderful, good, faithful people. You'll be able to find those in any party, anywhere. And we can link to an article in the Deseret News today. The most prominent Mormon Democrat is Harry Reid. Sometimes on the murkier corners of the internet, you see some Mormons who are really gung-ho and really politically active in conservative Republican circles. They, they don't like Harry Reid, and they'll say, how could he be a good Mormon when he believes such Democrat things? Well, this Deseret News article says, tells the story of how he gave the Book of Mormon to a fellow senator, and that fellow senator, now a former senator, was baptized this last weekend, and yeah. Harry Reid confirmed him. So, yeah. excellent job, Brother Reed. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, uh, again, look that up, and, and I'm sure if we can find the original source for this, uh, the research that it's based off, if it's actually not linked in the uh, Kansas City Star article to the original study, but it'd be nice if we could find it to find out if there's any more insight that, that this might uh, put forward on what, what, it, what it says about the landscape of, of religions and, and their political leanings. But uh, moving on. Um, Pick that up and talk about it in the next podcast. If there you go. anything interesting. Yeah, we can give that a shot. Uh, the next comes from uh, Peggy Fletcher Stack uh, at the Salt Lake Tribune, reporting on a, a group that's scolding the Mormon, a Mormon apostle for disparaging LGBT or families. Now, this is uh, in response to Elder L. Tom Perry's comments in the most recent General Conference in April 2015 where he uh, used the term counterfeit um, as opposed to describing traditional families or things like that, that, that seems to have really, boy, it, it's, it struck a chord with, uh, with the LGBT community, and they're certainly responding to it. So what else does this article kind of, uh, what are some of the main points? So in this controversy, what I see happening is a little bit of the blurring of the categories here. What Elder Perry said is that there is, on the one hand, a lifestyle that God has ordained for maximum happiness and progress in this life and eternity that is man-woman marriage and having children. On the other hand, he said that there are lifestyles which counterfeit the lifestyle that God has ordained. 
counterfeit, meaning that they purport to offer the same benefits, um, the same of everything that you could need or want, and yet because they are not what God has ordained, they're not going to get you where you're trying to go. This is, I fully understand, a hard doctrine for some to hear and something that is causes sadness for people who have challenges that I'm grateful I don't have. But it is our doctrine. It's not new. And it's, I mean, it's not really surprising that a, a church leader would say that during general conference. Now, the blurring happens, I think, in this press release from the Human Rights Campaign, where they say that Elder Perry disparaged LGBT families and children as counterfeit. So they make it sound as though he was using counterfeit as an insult against people, saying you are a counterfeit person. Your child is a counterfeit child. It's like you're not and, a full human being, right? Like you're, right. you're a less than. Right. That, that would be an insulting thing to say, but I don't think Elder Perry said it. I don't think that is an accurate or reasonable um, understanding. It's of not consistent with said. doctrine either because the, right. the doctrine is that all are alike unto God. Mm-hmm. So it's if you if you can put it in the right context where he's not talking about who you are and your value as a person, but rather the the choice to follow a lifestyle. Right. So I think it is sad that we're at the situation where people are putting out press releases and getting news coverage for what might even be a willful misreading. Um, just kind of making him an offender for a word, as the scripture has it. Um, I hope that people can, what, I guess what I hope is that this isn't moving into kind of the Twitter mob mentality where any any word or phrase that can be taken the wrong way is and uh, just a mob of outrage descends. Um, I mean, just because this isn't, this isn't anything new or surprising. This is exactly what you would expect an LDS church leader to say. And I think that this is a campaign of pressure and intimidation via press release is not going to work. And it's just kind of an awkward situation for all involved. We go into this a little further in our general conference review that you did with myself and Steve Densley that was just posted um, on the Fair Mormon blog where we discussed this in a little bit more detail about this talk and, and there are many people that have responded to it and so we hope that what we present in that podcast and here will help kind of diffuse a little bit of that because it's it's not it's not meant to to discount their them as a human being. All right, moving on to our final story for this episode and that is uh good old innocent elder David Archuleta who tweeted uh, so cute. <laughs> He tweeted innocently the words of of Elder Packer or President Packer, and boy, he just there's just no there's no uh, helping some people. Uh, I guess I don't know how else you say it, but they're just gonna they're gonna have a hair trigger with anything that's ever put out on Twitter. I don't know why people do it anymore. It mm. seems to cause more problems than it solves. But uh, this article states that American Idol alum David Archuleta is apologizing to fans after tweeting a quote that many perceived as an anti-gay message. Now, the, the quote was from President Packer that said, romantic love is incomplete. It's a prelude 
love is nourished by the coming of children who spring from the fountain of love expressed between a man and a woman in marriage. And he had a little hashtag for President Pecker, which is just another sign of what an interesting world we live in that we're hashtagging apostles. <laughs> Don't you sound like a fogey. No, oh my gosh. I'm just not a, I'm not a Twitter person. That's all. I, I, I haven't yet jumped into the Twitter sphere, which is, I'm just fine with that. <laughs> so the story, I, it's kind of, it, it makes me a bit sad. Um, the quote that David Archuleta shared didn't say anything about gays, even. It didn't say anything except that it is a beautiful thing for a man and a woman to be married and to um, express their love by having and nourishing children. Um, for that to be pounced upon as anti-gay, I think it's a perfect example of the Twitter mob phenomenon. And I think it is also a harbinger of how, how things are going to continue to go. Um, this is going to be a thing more and more that as we speak publicly about our beliefs, which, I mean, the doctrine of man and woman being married and that being ordained of God, that's, that is our doctrine. It's not going to change. It's very central. It's going to become more and more controversial according to the people who, you know, I don't know what segment of the population they make up. Last time I checked, only a little more than half of the American public supported gay marriage, but they are very loud and very strident about it. Well, not loud, but Twitter, whatever you call being strong on Twitter. They're very um, present. Yes. And they're going to be able to exert enormous pressure on people who don't want to be offensive, don't want to alienate their fans. Someone like David Archuleta, he, and I can see absolutely why he just wants to be a force for light and good in the lives of his followers. And um, I'm not condemning him for backing down. Um, just this is, this is a worrisome trend. I wish that it were not the case that Making a comment in praise of marriage gets you condemned for being anti-gay, but that's exactly. where we're at now. Yeah, and and unfortunately, there's as you said, this is happening more and more, but it also gives more and more, I don't know, support to what the the apostles and the brethren have been doing as far as religious freedom laws and things like that. That hopefully um, there will be room for us to coexist with our within our disagreements. So. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, the next thing that we need to kind of get out there before we wrap up is uh, Fair Mormon Conference is coming up on August sixth and seventh. So and excited! It's always a lot of fun. It is, and uh, it's kind of funny. I was the first one I think I attended was back in two thousand twelve, I think, and uh, I, I went back and online we have those old presentations, and it was really cool to kind of go back and and see those and renew my interest and in, in going to fair Mormon conferences. So again, this one's August 6th and 7th at the Utah Valley Convention Center in Provo. It's a Thursday and a Friday. It is. And uh, you can register for that uh, at the fair Mormon website, fairmormon.org. And uh, right now the, uh, the cost of attending both days with lunch included is $64 and 95 cents. And that price is good until the 31st of May. If you don't mm-hmm. want lunch, it's 54 95 or you can just do one-day tickets, uh, which are as inexpensive as $30. So that is the early bird price. And if you are CES, there is a discount. There is. One, I, I think it's uh, $17 a day with lunch or $5 a day without lunch. 
Yeah. That's a huge, it's that's a, a straight, that's a steep discount. So would love to see so many CES people there. Absolutely. Um, and part of why you should go, not only because we have great uh, speakers, but we have Margaret Barker and Stephen Webb, both who are not members of the church, but who have some incredible things to add. We've also got Ed Pinniger, Brant uh, Gardner, Ron Dennis, Brittany Chapman, who's awesome, uh, David Larson, Jim Gordon, Laura Hales, Paul Reeve, Dan Peterson, and last but certainly not least, the reason to go, Cassandra Hedelius. Hmm, heard of her. I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah, I think you'll do a good job, but I'm going to bring tomatoes just in case. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of different topics that are going to be going over, so we want to encourage people to uh, sign up, get a good discount uh, on the tickets, and uh, come out and be with us. Meet us in person. We'd love to hear from you guys and see you at the conference. And uh, we will do our best efforts to be more regular with our Fair Mormon Front Page News <laughs> Review podcast in the future. Try not. Do. We Absolutely. will. Thank you. And, and of course, as we know, there will be no end to the articles and, and things that will be talked about because Mormons get clicks. So And because you should. And that's why you should sign up for the front page newsletter at fairmormon.org. Excellent. Thank you, Cassandra. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Nick. This has been a fair moment.